Episode 29, and I'm not bragging. I'm not allowed to brag until... Episode 500. And that's because... I've done 500 college basketball more. games for you for UW. I, I've like done... Like 509 now, right? What, I don't even know what it is. It's We've more lost, than 500. Okay, so I can't brag. I'm just saying it's yeah. episode 29. Yeah. That's not a brag. When I say episode 500, I'm yep. going to say... And I'm bragging. You're, yeah, you should okay, be bragging. But I'm not yet. Right. All right, we got a lot to do on this episode, less than a week until we have... The brackets. The brackets. Frank Clark has changed his Uh-oh. tune. I think his agent may have heard episode number 28, <laughs> and I've got a theory on this. Okay. King Felix has lost his opening day starting job. The Seahawks could have had Antonio Brown for the number 21 overall pick, I think, now that we've seen where he's gone and for what. Uh, the dogs, your dogs mess up senior night. That was U G L Y. And you ain't got no alibi. And you, they, they had no alibi. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, we'll take another trip to Brackettville. Dave Amon on the fallout of Washington's disastrous senior night versus Oregon. North Carolina beat Duke again. No Zion. Another critical Blue Devil injury. Tennessee lost. LSU's got its coach suspended. So with one week to go or less than a week to go to Selection Sunday, all kinds of shuffling at the top of the brackets and Bracketville's Dave Amon, the best, will join us on episode 29 like he does on these types of shows. And I'm going to do something different. You don't know this. I'm going to catch you by surprise. I'm going to do oh, something I love a little that. different. I love that. You don't have to worry about that. Okay. A few weeks ago, you probably didn't read this because it wasn't a main player, but a few weeks ago, I read where a Syracuse basketball player who had been rehabbing a torn-up knee from last year and hadn't been playing, Mm -hmm. they finally disclosed something that no one knew, which is he had a stroke in between classes while on the Syracuse campus as a a freshman, as like a 19- or 20-year-old kid. Coming out of chemistry class, he had a stroke, and he's been recovering from a stroke, and they never made it it, uh, known that he's been recovering from a stroke until just recently. And I was like, a stroke? A 19-year-old kid had a stroke? And then... I read where Luke Perry, mm-hmm. the actor, yeah. 52 years old, 90210. Thin, 902, very thin, yeah. he dies at age 52, I'm 51, mm-hmm. he dies of a stroke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, now hold on a second, I thought strokes were for older people. Right. So every once in a while when we started this, I don't know that I've ever had this conversation with you about this, I thought, can we veer off of sports every once in a while when I see sure. something or when we all see something that may be important enough to share or do seven or eight or ten minutes on. So mm. I'm going to do that with this. And I'm going to invite on, I invited on, a Stanford University neurologist from their Stroke Research Center. Dr. Sarah Lee is going to join us on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 29. And she's going to tell us about the misconceptions that strokes are not just for older people. In, okay. fact, in fact, she specializes in strokes for younger people. And why, and what we can do to prevent it, and Ooh. what are the symptoms, and what do you do? Would you know what to do if somebody in your office, if you were at a Husky game and somebody up there on where you guys do the yeah, games, if sure. somebody started suffering from a stroke, would you know what to do? No. Sarah Lee is going to tell us okay. what we can do to prevent it in our lives, our diet, our nutrition, and what to look for. And if it happens, here's what you do. I'm going to spend some time doing Good. something that's, that's- not so joking no, and not lighthearted. Good. We're going to do something good. different. Yeah, okay? that's good. Uh, and I want to do that. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all big podcast platforms like Spotify, SoundCloud, and of course iTunes. Listen, 
subscribe, and of course, rate us. Throw us a five-star rating. We'll take it. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Have access to bonus content like the 18-minute discussion that you and I had after Washington's overtime win against Oregon State. It's all brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest right here in Bellevue with offices in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley, managing over $2 billion in assets, the 2018 fastest-growing wealth manager by the Puget Sound Business Journal, Zeke's Pizza, and all of its fabulous locations where there's no better place to have some pizza, craft beer, all while watching a sporting event. That's my go-to place. In fact, next week, I'm going down to the new Tacoma location on the UW-Tacoma campus to watch a little NCAA tournament. And Daniel's Broiler, whether it's a birthday, anniversary, or another special occasion, you won't find a better spot to celebrate with the best steaks anywhere, fabulous seasonal seafood, and the service and ambiance to match Leshy Marina, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place, and now on the second floor of the new Hyatt Regency in downtown Seattle. Here we go. Episode number 29. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me, that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to and yet it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, before we start episode 29, I've got news. I've got business for you. Yep, and business. by the way, you... You're pointing. You're pointing. I'm pointing, you're pointing. because I have had to take on the responsibility of the last few numbers, the final decision on 28 and 27. That's not true. Yes, it is. No, you're trying to deflect early. What you're trying to do right no, now... I'm is- uh, no, I'm not deflecting. I'm saying it's, it's your turn. It's clearly your turn. It's not. It's your turn. So what I'm going to do, what I propose to you, is when we get to that point, I am going to... Take the field. I'll share with you the field, and I'm going to bring it down to three. Okay. And you have to choose. You have to make the fun. You have to stick your neck out. And if you make a decision that's unpopular with the faithful 40 and a half, then you got to suffer the brunt of the punishment. Willing to do that. But before we get there, the first ever Mitch Unfiltered Madness Mm -hmm. presented by Evergreen Golf Call coming this Sunday. What is. Mitch Unfiltered Madness. It is a bracket filling out contest. Evergreen Golf Call has come to the forefront and said, we're in, we'll be your title sponsor, we'll give away three trips. So what they're going to do, they're going to do is they're going to supply us with three employees and they're going to make their picks. And then it's going to be up to the listeners of Mitch Unfiltered to beat all three of the Golf Call, the Evergreen Golf Call employees. I like it, I like it. Okay? Yeah. And those who beat all three in the final bracket after the national championship will be in the mix for the prize. Mm-hmm. And what they have what they have graciously offered is they're going to send a winner and a guest to the three cities outside of Bellevue where they have offices. So, grand prize winner, trip for two to Napa Valley. Mm, good spot. Hotel, airfare, 
the whole shebang. Really? Yep. Uh, number two, winner number wow. two, second place finisher, uh, trip for two to San Francisco where they have an office. Love it. Airfare and hotel accommodations downtown San Francisco for the weekend. And then winner number three, we're sending them to Portland. Hey. We're setting, we haven't decided what hotel yet. We're trying to find <laughs> out. Where, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get a match for the hotel there. What <laughs> We've alerted, we've alerted the, the the paramedics and the fire marshal that we're coming to town. Uh, they are going to uh, supply us with three trips, and I'm sure that Zeke's and Daniel's will be a part of this as well. So I just wanted to be every, on everybody's radar. I know everybody fills out brackets for all these contests. Oh, that's Make fantastic. sure you're in the Mitch Unfiltered yep. bracket, all right? Awesome. Uh, before we get to naming episode 29 and okay. you have the ultimate responsibility, mm-hmm. I want to I tie up loose ends from 28. There were some tweeters who were put off that we didn't mention. Now, 28 ended up going Marshall, Marshall Falk, Falk, right? Mm-hmm. There were some people that thought that Corey Dillon deserved at least to be named in the honorable mention. I see that. He wore 28 in the NFL for, what, the Bengals and yeah, the, the Patriots Bengals. and had a very good career. Local. He had 11,000 yards. I think he might have even gone. Did he go to Franklin High? He yeah, might be Frank, a Franklin High yeah, guy. Frank, yeah, Franklin, but, UW, But here's Patriots, the thing, and I, and I apologize. We're never going get to get them all, and we're always going to miss somebody. But the truth of the matter is, when he was at the University of Washington, he wore number four. And he was there for one year. He wore number four. Mm-hmm. So he was 28 in the pros there. I've mentioned I've mentioned Corey. Didn't Dillon. we have an omission? Oh, we had an omission on the fact that we had Richard Sherman as a as a current athlete. Yes. And that that yes. was an oversight by both of us. Yes, because we had one of them and we said that it was going to be the it was Mike Trout. Trout. Yeah, it was Trout. And we thought that that was the first yeah, current. We had already, talked, we had already we had, forgotten. Yeah. 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 Well, we don't we, we drink. Yeah. Where where is my beer? Yeah, your beer's right here. My okay. beer's here. Uh, okay. we're, we're good. All right. Yeah. Uh so let's go through 2029 20, a little bit. And okay. I'm going to I'm going to l- l- okay. bring it down to 3 for you guys. Okay. All right. So, um local yokels. Um Purvis Ellison wore 29. Nerve, never Nervous Purvis. For the Seattle Sonics. 86. I, I, I forgot that he was even on the Sonics never for one year. Nervous Purvis. As a freshman, As right? As a freshman. Or no. 86, Duke, Louisville. Never Nervous Do you remember Purvis. him being on the Sonics? Yeah. He wore 29 for the Sonics. I would have never guessed that. And the only other guy that I got is Mike Wilkes. I don't even remember. He wore 29. I think he was a no. guard. Uh, for the Mariners, Phil Bradley. Oh, yeah. Phil Bradley was my guy. I have more. I probably have more Phil Bradley autographs in my collection as being a kid going to Mariner games, getting Phil Bradley autographs than yeah. probably anyone. Really? Yes. So he's in the mix. Yeah. Brett Boone wore twenty nine. Don't have his. <laughs> Adrian Beltre wore twenty nine. Sure. Um, so there's your best three twenty nines okay. for the Mariners. Earl Thomas is the best Seahawk, and a great one. And and doesn't use knuckles. Doesn't go. And will flip your yeah. ass off. Right. right. With with the with the sticky gloves. Right. He'll give you the bird with the sticky gloves. So Earl Thomas is in the mix. Oh, for sure. For the uh, the naming rights of episode yes. twenty nine. All right. Baseball is interesting. You've got a Negro League great named Satchel Paige, mm-hmm. who debuted in Major League Baseball at age forty two after starring in the Negro Leagues. War twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got Rockin' Rod Carew, and I just called him Rockin', nobody called him Rockin'. Rod Carew, I didn't realize, he wore 29, I knew he wore 29, but I didn't realize that he went to eight 
18 All-Star games. Rock Carew was amongst my favorites only because his stance, he's yes, he the slide, kind of, yeah, he, and he kind of he rock it and then the stance, <laughs> and he's kind of slide back. That's right. Oh, I used to love Rod that. Rod Carew, yes. 18-time All-Star, AL MVP in 77, AL Rookie of the Year in 1967, Roberto Clemente Award, seven-time batting champion. Rod Carew. Career. One of my favorites. Career batting average, 328 career, 18-time All-Star. Got to be in the running. Oh, for sure. With your, with your boy, Earl Thomas. All right. Two other, two other guys to mention. Three other guys to mention. John Smoltz, we mentioned him in the last episode. He was a, uh, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. By the way, uh, Rod Carew was a first ballot Hall mm-hmm. of Famer. Eight-time All-Star, World Series champion, NL Cy Young Award winner. Here's what I love about Smoltz. He was both the National League wins leader as a starter twice, and he was also the National League saves leader when yeah. he went to the bullpen. So he was the Come best. Off Tommy John. He was the best in the business as a starter, and he was the best in the business as a reliever, and he was a good hitter, and he's a good golfer. He wore number 29. Competitor. Just flat out competitor. So you better start thinking Smoltz versus Carew before you go even. And if you got you got to figure that out I, first. I, I hear you. Um uh, Ken Dryden was a hockey goaltender. I don't know if that does anything for you. Goalie, whatever you want to call him. Um, and then comes the National Football League. Uh-oh. Outside of Earl Thomas. Uh-oh. Went to SMU, part of the Pony Express. Yeah. Six-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro. First-team All-Hall of Fame jury curl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a first ballot Hall of Fame first Jerry ballot Curl. Hall of Famer. For the longest time, yeah. he had the rushing yards record, 2,105 mm-hmm. in a season. Um, three-time Offensive Player of the Year, number 29. You know him, you yeah. love him. E.D. Yeah. And I ain't talking. <laughs> Not that style. No. Yeah. Eric Dickerson. So I'm going to I'm gonna take Rod, as much as I love John Smoltz. Mm-hmm. I see 18-time All-Star. I see 328. I see first ballot Hall of Famer on 91% yep. of the ballots. I'm going to take Rod Carew from baseball, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take Eric Dickerson. Neck at, roll and all. Whole thing. Yep. Running beautifully. So he kind of upright, upright yeah. in his running style. And I'm, putting, I'm throwing in there Earl Thomas, who was the greatest safety that the Seahawks ever saw. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. It went bad. The relationship went south. It's been well chronicled and discussed. You have to choose between Earl Thomas, Rod Carew, and Eric Dickerson. Mm. So think about that. Okay, I will. Chew on that for just, okay. a, for just a little bit, Thanks. all right? Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's get to some of the matters here. I'll ring the bell. Frank Clark has changed his tune. What is going on? Brett Dow tweets, have you changed your mind on how Frank Clark is handling things? Rec fan writes, what's up with Frank Clark? Roger Venu wants to know, do the Seahawks dare trade Frank Clark? What's your take on now after we say, isn't it, we said on the last episode, people should listen to the last episode, we said, isn't it refreshing to hear somebody who's tagged say, I'm grateful, I'm honored, I'm happy, let's get it on. Let's go, let's go yep. play football. And now, a few days later, his agent says he's not signing the franchise tender, he's not playing, he's holding out, he's not coming to yep. training camp, he's not interested in the 17.1 whatever million mm-hmm. dollars. What do you think? I think his agent saw his tweet and was like, what in the hell are you doing, Frank Clark? 
We are trying to leverage this situation to the maximum, and you are making it sound like you're grateful to be tagged. Stop doing that. Let me do my job. Yes, I know you're about to make $17 million more than you made last year, but that's not how this goes. Stand on the sidelines, let me do my job, and stop tweeting. That's right. You just said it better than I could say it. There's no question that all of this in the first 24 or 48 hours after getting tagged made the agent say, okay, are you trying to make it impossible for me to get you a great, the best deal I can get mm-hmm. you, the long-term deal? You can't play. I know you're grateful. Now shut up. Yes. Shut the hell up. Yes. Pretend like you're not. I'm going to start dropping some notes into people's ears in the NFL network and Ian Rappaport. And I'll, I'm going to start saying, we're going to start playing a little bit more hardball because yeah. if we don't play hardball, we're not going to get what we want. That's exactly right. Do I think that there's any chance that Frank Clark would not be ready to go week one at $17.1 million without a long-term deal? Do I think there's any chance that he would hold out all the way through training camp and into the regular season when he starts missing checks? The answer is zero Z-E-R-O. Now, would they ever trade him? I don't. I, I don't think they want to trade him. I think you got a pass rusher. I mean, but but if somebody, Mr. Pass Rush is talking about potentially trading Mr. Pass Rush, I don't think that they. Well, I'm just answering Roger Venu's question. Okay. Here. I think that. Uh, but do I think it's the most far fetched thing in the world? If somebody called John Schneider and said, "Here's a bunch of picks. We know how many, how much he loves picks," and they just threw the kitchen sink at him mm-hmm. and said, "Here's a player. Here's picks. Here's a bunch of. Here's a first rounder. I don't mm-hmm. know whatever it is." Sure. I think there's a there is a price. I think that there is compensation. I think there's a deal if the deal wows John Schneider, but I don't expect him to be traded. Sure. I don't expect him to hold out into the regular season. I expect that they'll play hardball. Maybe they won't show up for the beginning of training camp. Maybe they won't show up for the for the meat of training camp. But at the end of the day, Frank Clark is just now being told by his agent just what you said. Stop making my life difficult. I'm trying to get you a huge deal here. Mm-hmm. Don't be so grateful to play for 17 points. At least publicly, don't be so great. Next item up for bids. The dogs on Saturday night. What was it, three for 20 from three? Something like yeah. that? When the walk-on or when the reserve guy came in and swished yeah. one? They were two for 19 with about 10 seconds to go right. from three-point land. They were awful all night offensively. A lot of people are throwing their hands up saying they're not going anywhere. Even if they make it in the tournament, they're going bad right now. They're in a bad stretch. You agree with that, that they're just not playing good enough basketball to advance in any type of setting, whether it be the Pac-12 or the NCAA tournament. They're not playing well right now. They're not playing well. But I don't agree with that. I, no? I, I don't agree with the whole throw my hands up, it's all over, it's whatever. Even if they were to lose to USC or Arizona – on Thursday, my hope is that they're they're still in the tournament. Now, what what is in the tournament? Is that play-in? Is that first four? Or is that securely in at 11? Uh, they're in. They're in. Okay. I, I think they're in, and they're not playing in Dayton. Okay, so. Either way. Regardless, I think what people don't understand is there is a renewed energy to the postseason that is – it's huge, just like it is to the Pac-12 tournament. But to the NCAA tournament, it is magnified to a level that people who haven't been around it and who just watch it and observe it, they don't understand. When you're there as a player, as a coach, as a media, 
it's a big deal. That's why that's why this whole thing is such a big deal. It is a big deal, and it's a big deal to these kids. And so when you get there, wherever venue you're at, it raises, you realize it is win or go home, and everything means everything. So you're kind of saying they're in the dog days of the season, that maybe they're just worn down, and they need a fresh start, and they need something new, and that's what the Pac-12 tournament is, and that's what the NCAA tournament is. They're just... They're just tired. What, what what I'm saying, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that they're tired. What I'm saying is when they clinched the Pac-12 early, yeah, they had to fight to continue to, that momentum to, okay. to, to continue. I'm not saying that they should okay. have let down. I know being a former player, a former assistant coach, the emotion of senior day, sometimes it affects you great. Sometimes you're terrible. Washington was terrible. They, were, they weren't good. The seniors – other than no, but this is not no, just one game. They haven't been really good. Uh, Go back to the Bay Area trip. They were uh, horrible against Cal. No, no that's they, not true. That's they not weren't true. horrible against no, Cal. They weren't. Okay, their defense was horrible. Okay, their okay. offense was fantastic. You look at the percentages, okay. how they shot it. Their offense was okay. fine. Okay, but people will say they were fortunate to beat Stanford. They were fortunate to beat Oregon State. Fine, I I get it, but you know. That's how college basketball is. You got to fight to the finish, and that's what happened. If you look at the uh, the bracket matrix site, which I yep. share with you, yep. 150 or 175 guys that do this, their average seed as of today is 8.76. Ooh, they're a nine seed. Yep, they are an average nine seed. Yep. If the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about. That's right, right. Um. So the whole the day and age of them thinking about sixes and fives and it's that's over. that's over. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the question is that everybody wants to know they're going bad. They're going to end up playing who Arizona or USC. Um, I kind of think it'll be. I kind of think it'll be USC personally mm-hmm. because I think the whole Sean Miller thing and his. I don't know if you saw his press conference and he addressed the yeah. crowd and basically goodbye, said goodbye. Was, yeah, I mean it was almost. like it's weird. Um, I just think that Arizona is just kind of this team that's lost and mm-hmm. the season's lost mm-hmm. and their coach is leaving or getting fired. or yeah, There's so much distraction going on. I kind of think that USC will win that game. Either way, I, I still believe and I hope that we don't find out if I'm right because no one wants to sit around from Thursday night when they play and they're going to play in the afternoon. When are they Thur- going to play? Thursday at noon. Thursday at noon. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see them lose and then it's we have the to sit. first game of the second day. We don't need to be sitting from Thursday to Sunday wondering after they lose to USC or Arizona. So let's hope that we don't ever find this out. Yeah. I am still having watched it a long time, a long time. I've studied this stuff a long time, more than I, I, I should admit that I've studied mm. this. They're going to be in the field. I believe they're going to be in the field one way or the other. Everybody says, what about the year that they won the Pac-12 regular season? They didn't get in. What was their record that year? 14-4. Is that what they were? 14-4 in league. In league. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're 15-3, and three, soft bubble, nine seed right now. They'd have to literally drop from a nine to a 13. There's 12s that make the field, 11s that make the field. Are they really going to drop two or three seeds, four seeds from nine all the way out of the tournament? I don't know. Now, maybe you think that they might play in the first four. We'll wait and see. I happen to believe that if I were a betting man, that I would say, regardless of the outcome on Thursday afternoon, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament field, and I don't even think they're going to be playing in Dayton, Ohio. 
let's hope that we don't find out whether I'm right or wrong. Let's let's see them get back to playing good basketball. At least win one, maybe win yeah. two or three games in Las Vegas. In front of your, you're going to Las Vegas. Oh yeah, I'm going to La- you're going to Vegas. I'm going to Vegas. I will just taking say, the sticks. I'm going to Vegas yeah, with the sticks. Of course, yeah. I, I will say this. Yeah, if I am a six, if I'm a five. And Washington's an eleven or twelve. You do not want to see Washington's name pop up on your bracket. So sure, bring it. You do not want that smoke. You do not want it. I'm just here telling you. When we had Mike Hopkins on this podcast, mm-hmm. I asked him this question because I happen to know the answer, which is talk to us about how the zone translates when you get into a tournament and somebody's got to see it for the first time. Yeah. Better than that is if they win the first game of the tournament and then somebody's got to play against it with one day in between to prepare yes. having beaten somebody else. When they, when other teams – got to understand, Oregon on Saturday night, Oregon State on Wednesday night, mm-hmm. they were seeing Matisse Theibel for the second time sure. this year and for like the eighth or ninth time over the course of the last four yeah. years. And on tape, and they're trying to just make sure they understand it. No one has that amount of time. What Matisse Thibel is going to look like to a new team that's never seen yeah. him before on that Thursday yeah. or Friday. He's the, the Monstars. <laughs> He's the Monstars I'm on telling Space Jam. You, yeah. uh, the, the other team, is they have, no, they have never seen anything like a zone with Matisse Thibel yep. at the top making deflections and blocking shots from behind and knocking balls loose. No team is used to that. And when they get out of the Pac-12, that's good. I'm not saying that means they're going to win of or they're going to go to the Sweet 16. I'm just saying. Different. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're just saying. You don't want to see that. You're right. You're a six. You're a five, and they're an eleven or a twelve. You don't want to see Matisse Thibel for the first time, having never really seen him except for on film. Uh, all right, we got a number of different things to talk about in our last segment. Our next two are interviews. Dave Amon, Brackettville, will answer the question. How secure is Washington? Do you agree with Mitch mm-hmm. that they're in regardless? What are the percentages? How far did you drop them? All that stuff. And he'll talk about the top of the the top of the brackets and the middle of the brackets. And then something a little different, a neurologist from Stanford University to talk about strokes. Mm. And important. What 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 is yeah, it? A, really what important. is a stroke and why did we always think it was just older people who suffer from yeah. strokes? And then you and I have a few other items. Uh, a laundry list of items to take care of as we continue on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 29. Episode. Episode. episode Earl uh, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. It's all brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, the fastest growing wealth manager named by the Puget Sound Business Journal. And I've got spectacular news from Tyler Hay of Evergreen. They are stepping up in a big way to sponsor the first ever Mitch Unfiltered Madness next week when the brackets are announced to celebrate Evergreen Golf Call's phenomenal growth, the best three brackets that beat Evergreen. And trust me, it's not going to be difficult to beat Evergreen in basketball. (laughs) They'll win weekend trips to San Francisco, Portland, and the Napa Valley, all three home to Evergreen's growing business, Evergreen Golf Call, Private Wealth Management, and the Family Office 2, a newsletter with 10,000 readers. If you're interested in reading more about what Evergreen does, check out their website at Evergreen Golf Call. That's G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager of the Northwest. Unfiltered.
And it's time for our weekly trip to Bracketville on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Here he is, Dave Amon, who does it as well as anybody else. Bracket guy Dave, he's going to tell us about the consequences of the senior night loss, Dave, for the University of Washington at home to Oregon. The last time I looked, Washington was seeded 32 overall in your list of seeds, which placed them as the worst of the eight seeds. Tell me about the consequences of losing that game at home to the Ducks. Well, fortunately for Washington, um, at least from a net perspective, you know, Oregon isn't a bad loss. It's it's not like, you know, what happened at Cal. Right. Um, obviously not ideal for the Huskies as they get ready to go into the Pac-12 tournament um, as the favorite. And ultimately what happens this week is – you know, in the big picture, probably going to be more important than what happened uh, the other night. It, it kind of leaves them, though, in a spot where they're it looks like they're going to end up uh, 36, okay. which puts them as the the final nine seed, kind of right there. You know, debating with Utah State for the nine ten line. So they're at a point now where they're they're not in, in the middle of the fray. But obviously, you know, I've had a couple of people, you know, uh, tweet at me this week and say, well, what if we lose our first round game? You know, and that certainly is something that uh, hopefully for uh, Washington fans, they won't have to deal deal with. They'll either get USC or Arizona, I believe. Yes. Um, you know, opposite them. If they take care of that game, um, you know, I think they're probably in pretty good shape. It, it's like everything. We have so many moving parts this week because there are just too many variables to get too concrete with certain things, particularly as you get closer to the cut line. Um, you know, Wolford won today, so bubble teams are relaxing a little bit um, in a game that just wrapped up uh, right before we uh, record here, UNC Greensboro knocked off Furman in the other SOCON semi. So if UNC Greensboro were to upset Wofer tomorrow night, then that potentially and likely takes a spot from from someone. Buffalo's going to be in action this week in the Mid-American. Buffalo's going to be a lock, I believe, to get a bid regardless. So, you know, that's a potential spot. And then you get into not only the Pac-12 tournament this week, but you get into the Atlantic 10. And while VCU has been a very dominant team in that league. Historically, the A-10 tournament hasn't always gone as planned. And so you start just looking at all these combinations of things. And certainly, you know, if Washington could win at least two games in the Pac-12 tournament, their position of being probably um, somewhere along that 9 or 9-10 line looks pretty good come Selection Sunday a week from now. Well, you're having people kind of gasp with breath right now saying that they should win two games in the Pac-12. Would you consider Washington as of the moment on the bubble? They're probably on the, what I would say, on the the good end of the bubble. They're not really directly close to that cut line. So they're above that fray right now. Again, but if you left early and then a bunch of things happened that squeezed the number of at-large bids, and then also you had some other teams make big moves, it's possible Washington could end up on the bubble. I don't see it as we talk right now, but we'll have a better idea of that once all of these things get going, say, 
you know, come Friday or Saturday. So let me ask it to you, statistically speaking. Let's assume they do lose that first game against Arizona, whomever they play in their first game in the Pac-12. Would you say at that point, obviously, as you point out, there's lots of lots of considerations, lots of moving points. If I were to just say to you, better than 50-50 or worse than 50-50, if they lose that first game in the Pac-12 tournament, that they would be in the NCAA tournament field? Given a lot of the teams that we're still considering at this point, I would say it would still be better than 50-50 odds. Okay. All right. And so um, you're saying that Woford is in regardless of their result on Monday night in their conference final. Everybody's asking the question about Belmont, who lost in the championship game to, I guess it was Murray State on Saturday, and Belmont's chances of grabbing an at-large spot at something like 26-5 and overall with a pretty good portfolio. What, what do you say about that, Dave? Well, the way I look at it is Belmont is one of those teams that, that for me, probably when the new bracket gets posted here either you know, late tonight as we record or, or most likely uh, early tomorrow morning, you know, they could very well be one of those last couple of teams that makes it in but it's going to be a very long week for Belmont. And while I can tell you this, that I believe that particularly given the mediocrity that we have along the cut line, that this is a great year for the committee to say, hey, you know, let's reward a couple anyway of these teams that have had excellent years and went out and played people. Now, Belmont did beat UCLA, and that was before kind of UCLA started the process of falling apart as the year went along. But what's really difficult for teams like Belmont is their resume is now complete. So what they have done is what they have done, and it may very well be good enough and look good enough right now. And then we have the rest of this week to go through, and that could go in their favor. We could have teams just play their way out, or obviously things could go not in their favor if Wolford loses, Buffalo loses. So that's when those things start getting contracted, and that makes it even that much tougher, unfortunately, for a team like Belmont um, to ultimately end up getting in. On the Zeke's Pizza Hotline with Bracket Guy Dave, Dave Amon of Bracketville. Make sure you're following him every day this week now. Here we are, down to the nitty-gritty, inside of seven days to go until Selection Sunday. We'll have the field in our hands at this time next week. Up at the top of the bracket, some shuffling, I would imagine, Dave, that you're figuring out. You've got Duke losing to North Carolina again without Zion Williamson, and then they lost another player, although Zion is supposed to be coming back uh, for the first game of the ACC tournament. You've got a Tennessee team that lost a game, a North Carolina team that continues to surge. I think Michigan lost to Michigan State over the weekend, and even LSU is kind of an interesting story because they are in the midst of all kinds of controversy. They've suspended their coach. They've got player issues. How do you deal with them come Selection Sunday? Well, let's start where you started, Mitch, with the top line, and, and certainly I'm not going to be alone in this. Uh, I think when, when updates start coming out, heading into this week, given the fact that Duke lost again and North Carolina now swept them, knowing that Zion Williamson wasn't there, but I kind of look at it like this, is we can say that Zion Williamson is coming back and he's going to play in the ACC tourney. When we see him on the court, we'll know. And then the other part of it is, 
how does he look when he plays, and how does Duke play in his return. If all of those things go back to where they were before, then I think Duke obviously will likely perform very well in the ACC tournament and could certainly get back in to be on that number one line. But the way it falls out uh, for me at the start of the week is you have Virginia number one overall, followed by Gonzaga, and then North Carolina and Kentucky. So North Carolina to the south and Kentucky into the Midwest. And then your top two teams on the two line would be Duke and Tennessee, followed by Michigan State, um, and then LSU. But you mentioned we don't know exactly how all of this is going to play out with LSU. And so then you still have teams like a Michigan, a Texas Tech, um, that could still be in there and is a spot for uh, that, that final line or final spot on the two line. And the one line is, you know, let's be honest, is pretty undecided because if Michigan State were to go through the Big Ten tournament and win and maybe, you know, either uh, Kentucky or Tennessee doesn't win it or, uh, you know, Virginia wins the ACC, there's always a possibility that Michigan State could still sneak up there and take one of the final number one spots. Dave, who's the best team in the country? Not by resume, not by what you do. Let's just take out, take yourself out of your own shoes for a second and make you a college basketball fan. You watch all these games, you look at all these resumes, you do all this seeding. Now just tell me the eye test. Who would you say right now is playing the best college basketball in America? At this particular moment, to me, it would kind of be a toss-up between Gonzaga and North Carolina. If I were just going to have to say purely on the eye test of watching them play basketball. The thing about a team like Virginia is they, they don't really have that same wow factor sometimes with, with the visionary of how they play, but they're just so good at what they do that you know it's hard to bet against them. I mean, the only team that has beaten Virginia all year is a fully loaded Dukes team with Zion Williamson. And so, you know, but if you're just going to ask me the two teams that I've seen play recently and just how they play, you know, Gonzaga has just been obliterating people, and it's hard to argue with what North Carolina has done in the ACC here over the past couple of weeks. I think Washington fans and fans of other teams that are on the bubble, that are on the true bubble, you say Washington really isn't squarely on the bubble right now, but could be should they lose and a lot of other things happen during championship week. I think that those fans of the Huskies and some other teams that are kind of on the cut line would like to know, who does Dave Amon in Brackettville feel like, okay, you're down to kind of an elimination game in the first part of your conference tournament who would you suggest to us give me two or three teams that you would say you better win that first game that you're playing in your tournament otherwise I'm not putting you in the field well there's a couple and I always I always hesitate and I'm not really trying to ride the fence here it's just there's just so many different possibilities but one that immediately jumps to mind to me in the ACC is that 8-9 game between North Carolina State and Clemson because they're both teams that are right along that cut line right now, they're going to face each other to start to start their uh, you know second round there, um, and then the winner gets Virginia. So if you don't think they're going to upset Virginia, they basically each have a one more game season um, to to give the committee a chance to look, and then also give them a chance to to make another uh, a big splash. Um, 
so that's probably the the biggest one just right out of the gate and then you know if you go over to say like uh you know the big east you have a team like creighton who's right along that cut line now as well you have a georgetown team that's right along that cut line and georgetown and seton hall play each other out of the gate in the big east and xavier and creighton play each other so there's two games in that first full day of action in the Big East that pretty much, you know, Seton Hall is in, a, is in a lot better position. So at this point, after beating Marquette and Villanova back-to-back, they're kind of above that fray, maybe a couple spots above Washington now on the seed list line. So they're probably pretty good. But Georgetown it likely has to win that game. And then the winner of Xavier Creighton is going to have the best chance to keep moving and add something to their resume to try to get themselves in. What would Arizona State have to do, obviously short of winning the whole Pac-12 tournament, for you to say the Sun Devils are safe, the Sun Devils are going to be in this field, or is it just win the Pac-12 tournament? Well, I think the only 100% sure bet for them is to win the Pac-12 tournament. But I, I think if they make it to the final, and the final is Washington, and the two of them go at it, I think there's, just the way I look at it right now, there's a pretty good likelihood, again, barring a bunch of crazy stuff happening this week, that both of those teams are going to get in. So that, that's probably the best I can give you, Mitch, is that if they both make it to the title game, I feel pretty good that both Arizona State and Washington are going to be uh, in people's brackets next week. How about my alma mater? Uh, 10-8 and eight in the ACC. Couldn't finish off the deal with Clemson on the road over the weekend. They'll go into the ACC tournament with an above 500 record. Not the greatest actual individual set of results in the ACC, though they did win at Duke and they did beat Louisville. In this day and age of the bubble, better or less than 50% if Syracuse doesn't win their first ACC tournament game? That one I'm going to put right at probably about 50-50. Because the thing about Syracuse is, and this is maybe something that, you know, average fans don't realize, because on the actual team sheets that the selection committee uses, conference record is not a part of that any longer. So they look at the overall body of work of the team, but the conference that they're in is not noted, even though it's likely they're aware of it. Um and their conference record is not on their official team sheet. And that's why you'll be saying, well, this team's only four games under 500 in their conference. How are they even being considered? And right or wrong, and I can agree or disagree with it, but it's not an official criteria. So it's really about the body of work that Syracuse has put together. Obviously, their overall strength of schedule, both conference and non-conference, will be a big plus for them. It really comes down to to this in a nutshell, if you break down a team's uh, resume, Mitch. So Syracuse has wins over Duke, Louisville, and then what you have is, is Ohio State going to make it in? Is Clemson going to make it in? If they don't, if neither of both of those teams bow out early and don't make it in, then basically what you're left with is Syracuse trying to present an argument that – we are roughly two and eight or two and ten against NCAA level teams, and that's our resume. Now the two wins are pretty good, 
and all other things considered, you can look at Syracuse and say, I believe that's an NCAA tournament team. That's why I tell you it might be a 50-50 proposition. All right. Uh, high risers, free fallers. Give me one of each, a high riser and a free faller before you leave us in Brackettville, Dave Amon. You're gonna, that's going to be pretty easy for me right now. Probably the high riser who has risen from the ashes and is not only back in play, but just the way they're playing right now, I say is probably a better chance than Ohio State to make it in is Indiana, who has come back from that long losing streak in the middle of the Big Ten season uh, to, to get themselves back in a position to be in the discussion. And Indiana has more than enough quality wins when you consider they swept Michigan State, they beat Marquette, they beat Louisville in the non-conference. Um, if they can avoid any sort of an early flame-out at the Big Ten tournament, I, I would like their odds at this point. And then another team that had piled up a lot of losses and then moved in the other direction that once everybody kind of thought was a lock, I would say would be Texas. They are sitting at 16-15 and 15 now. And unless they win the Big 12 tournament, they're going to have a 16th loss. We have never had a team, at least until this year, it could always be the first year, we've never had an at-large team get in with 16 losses. So Texas has now piled up enough losses that they've really put themselves uh, up against the wall to get in. Okay, Dave Amon, tell everybody what they can expect from Bracketville, bracketville.wordpress.com, and if they're following you on Twitter, uh, Bracket Guy Dave, what do you have special for us this week as we count you down to Selection Sunday? Well, it's obviously one of the busiest weeks of the year, but also one of the funnest weeks of the year, so there will be a new bracket to get us started this week. There will be little updates um, pretty much every day because we'll be getting new teams entering the field, so there will be a little shuffling going on. Uh, so please uh, check in and check those out. It's also these next three days are a good time when I get a little bit extra time watching some conference championship games to go back through that seed list. And really this is where you kind of start trying to finalize where you think all those seeds are going to find out as results come in. So it's just a lot of fun, so check back off and please. You know, if you have questions or you want to just talk some hoops, uh, please feel free to do so. That's that's what makes all of this fun. So the next time you and I chat, we're going to be reacting. We're going to have the brackets in our hands, and you're going to tell me they made a mistake here, Mitch, or they didn't make any mistakes. They did it exactly the way they uh, they needed to do it. I look forward to that conversation. I wish you all the very best this week in the hottest week the busiest week of the year for you, Bracket Guy Dave, and, of course, Bracketville, bracketville.wordpress.com. I watch it every single day, multiple times a day, and I'll do so this week as well. Thank you, Dave. Congratulations and good luck. I, I look forward to seeing what you got for us. All right. I look forward to talking to you next week and uh, seeing what the committee did what they were supposed to. All right. So Dave Almond of Bracketville says Washington's okay for now. He would highly suggest, as we all would, for the Huskies not to lose in the first game of the Pac-12 tournament. We'll see what happens. He says they'll still be better than 50-50 to get into the field. I say it's a lot better than that. You know how I feel. I think the Washington Huskies will be in the NCAA tournament when the brackets are announced on Sunday. What is better than getting pizza delivered as you are sitting down to watch the game? How about both pizza and beer? Most Zeke's locations now deliver beer, wine, and cider. Nobody does Northwest craft beer better than Zeke's, and that includes 
Delivery. Zeke's delivery menu features beers from the best local breweries. Order using the mobile app, iPhone, and Android devices online at Zeke'sPizza.com or you can just call 206-285-8646. That's 206-285-8646. A Zeke's delivery driver brings the order, not a third party. You can order any combination of food and beer just as long as it meets Zeke's minimum requirement of $15. Even mix and match. Order six different beers for all I care. Or order just one can of beer. Zeke's Pizza delivers. And don't forget, for those of you that are around the Tacoma area, come join me and watch the University of Washington in the NCAA basketball tournament. I'm going down to the new Tacoma location, which is on the UW-Tacoma campus on that Thursday or Friday of the first game when Washington, I believe, will play in the NCAA tournament. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Let's take a step back and do something a little different, maybe a little educational. We'll stop giggling and laughing for just a second to talk about a serious issue. A couple of weeks ago, I read where a Syracuse University basketball player had suffered a stroke. I think he's 20 years old or 19 years old in between classes on campus. And then 10 days ago or so, I read of Luke Perry, the actor, dying from complications of a stroke at 52 years old. I'm 51. And I thought we'd learn more about this because I was always under the impression that strokes were for the elderly. And joining us now from the Stanford University Medical Center, Stroke Center, A specialist in young adults and strokes is Dr. Sarah Lee, who's going to educate us and explain to us that it's a misconception, right, Dr. Lee, that that strokes are reserved for just the elderly. Yes, that's right. Thanks for for having me, Mitch. Um, So, yes, unfortunately, of about the 800,000 strokes that happen per year, about... 20% of those happen in young patients, and generally we think of uh, under 50 as being young, um, but, you know, up to age 55 and 60 has been reported in some papers. So um, it is a serious problem, and um, we're seeing that number rise, too, um, as we're getting better at diagnosing young patients with stroke and recognizing that this is something that happens. So take us through what happens to the body when it's going through what we call a stroke, Dr. Lee. Sure. So um, so backing up a little bit, uh, their stroke is kind of a broad term, and there are two types of strokes that we think about. One is the bleeding type of stroke or a hemorrhagic stroke where a blood vessel in the brain bursts and um, causes bleeding in the brain. Or there's the clotting type of stroke, and that's called an ischemic stroke, and that's when a blood clot blocks a blood vessel um, and causes a that tissue downstream to die. Dr. Sarah Lee is our guest, uh, Stanford University Neurology Department, Stanford Stroke Center. So preventative measures, what is it that we can do to help us be healthy or is it just the normal preventative kind of uh, methods that we take to be healthy on a day-to-day basis? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So typically, um, you know, in elderly folks, most often it's attributed to what we think of as traditional risk factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, smoking, um, those kinds of things build up over time. They harden the arteries and they can lead to strokes. Um, Additionally, we can see strokes coming from irregular heart rhythms that tend to happen more often as we get older. But younger people have strokes for different reasons than older people. More often, they're having strokes because um, they're either having tears in their artery. That's called a dissection. That represents about 25% of all stroke in younger people. Um, And you can imagine young people, they're active, they're running around, and they're prone to getting bumped on the head or um, developing what we call little tears in the artery and those create clots and they can block arteries and cause strokes that way. Um, But we are also seeing a lot of those traditional risk factors I just mentioned becoming more prevalent in younger populations as, you know, kind of we got to make sure to keep on top of our diet, avoid the fried foods, um, see your doctor regularly, have them screen you for high cholesterol, diabetes, and, you know, stay on top of your blood pressure. Exercise is also obviously very important. So that has been shown to be helpful to reduce your stroke risk going forward. How about symptoms and warning signs, Dr. Lee? The basketball player wrote an article or helped uh, write an article talking about his experience coming out of chemistry class, and he said he was having trouble uh, with the strength in his leg. He was kind of dragging his leg, and he didn't know what was happening. Give us uh, a typical set of symptoms when somebody's going through this. Sure. So the acronym we always use is BFAST. So that stands, the B stands for balance, so sudden onset of um, acute loss of balance. The E stands for eye, so that's vision loss in one or both eyes can be a sign of a stroke. Fast is face, so if you see drooping of the face, A is arm, weakness of one arm, weakness or numbness of one side of the body. Um, That means you need to stop, and really T is for time, time to call 911 at that point. Um, So really, you know, the hallmark is if you see somebody with weakness or numbness on one side of the body, a facial droop, the S stands for speech, so that's difficulty speaking or understanding. Uh, Most right-handed people are left-brained, which means that the language center sits on the left side of of their brain. And if you have a stroke in that region, it can be difficult to understand people. So that's a symptom that people don't often think about right away, but um, that's a very serious sign of a stroke. You just talked about what somebody would do if you saw somebody with symptoms of a stroke. Uh, This particular basketball player talked about how a couple of other students saw him on campus, recognized him from the basketball team, and tried to help him. How about anything beyond 911 that I would do or that any of us would do if we were in the presence of somebody who was suffering from these symptoms? Yeah, that's a great question. So really the, you know, the hallmark really is to call 911 as soon as you can. Some people um, will try to drive themselves to the hospital or, or get themselves there on their own, but calling 911 is always the best option because the ambulance will know where your nearest stroke center is and be able to take you exactly to the right place. Dr. Sarah Lee is our guest. So while you've called 911 to help this person that's in front of you that's going through these symptoms and you're waiting for ambulances and paramedics to arrive did you say you want to lay the person down on a side or her side you want to sit them down on a bench what do you want to do for that person uh, to comfort them while 911 is working and while the paramedics you don't need to are on do any 
Yeah. You don't need to do anything uh, specific. Um, just try to keep them calm. Obviously, people would be very upset and concerned if this was happening to them. Um, if, they, if they had fallen down, you can just kind of get them in a comfortable position, but no need to really move them around or, or get them in any specific position. Generally, lying flat is what we recommend if we're worried about a stroke. Um, but if, they've, if they're sitting down or if they're able to walk, then you can just have them rest and wait for the ambulance. Dr. Sarah Lee from the Stanford University Neurology Department, the Stanford Stroke Center. Thank you so much for sharing with us a little bit of your wisdom, and maybe we come away from this segment a little more knowledgeable about what a stroke is and what the symptoms are and what we can do for ourselves or for other people that might be going through. Thank you so much for calling. The voice of Dr. Sarah Lee of the Stanford University Stroke Research Department, something a little bit more important maybe than our everyday sports topic. I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's Broiler is a special restaurant. One of the things I think that makes Daniel special, their belief in world-class hospitality. Of course, you expect excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's. Of course, the world-class views. Of course, the Wine Spectator Best of Excellence Award-winning wine list and premium service. But if it's not world-class hospitality, then none of it really matters. And I'm not just talking about being polite. It's much more than that. World-class hospitality is making every guest feel warm, welcome, and important. As you know from the real world, that doesn't happen by accident. How you're treated is just as important to Daniels as the excellence of their food. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now at the downtown Hyatt Regency, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. At the time of this recording, four tickets already punched of the 68 to the big dance. All right. People want to know. The answer is yes. We've already gotten acceptances for some of the coaches. In fact, we got – I sat and watched Ja Morant. Morant. Have you seen him play yet? Yeah, of course. Have you seen Murray State? I don't know how, how often Murray State is on TV. Yeah. I had never seen Ja How Morant. fast? How quick is he? This guy is ridiculous. He is he is totally he, ridiculous. He is a version. He's a version of Wessel Rustbrook. Just in a younger, slighter. I mean, he's explosive, man. They say he's the number two pick behind Zion Williamson in the draft. It's Williamson NBA Draft Net dot net or NBA, NBA Draft dot net mm-hmm. says Williamson won. Ja Morant, Murray State. They won their conference. He scored like 30 something points and had like, he's like one of the leading scorers in the country and assist men in the country. And he's like 6'2, 6'3, 175. He's faster than fast. He's tougher than tough. He can shoot it. It's just, it's, I, I'd never seen him play. I've read about him, yeah. but I'd never seen him play. Yeah. And he's going to be playing in the NCAA oh, tournament. Yeah. And his coach is going to be on Woohoo! Mitch Unfiltered. Um, Antonio Brown, when you first heard that Pittsburgh got a third rounder and a fifth rounder, what was your first reaction? What the hell? Right? What in the actual hell? So now I ask you. Yeah. A, what's better, a third and a fifth rounder or the number 21 overall pick? What would Pittsburgh have taken? Would they have rather the 21st or the third and the fifth? I think they'd take the 21st. Okay, so should should the Seahawks have done it? Should the Seahawks have swept in and said, okay, 
We've got the running game intact. Nope. We've got the offensive line intact. Nope. Russell needs one weapon. No. Doug Baldwin's maybe on his last legs. Tyler Lockett's a nice complimentary receiver. Here's a chance for the 21st nope. overall pick to get a guy who's one of the top two or three wide receivers in no. the game. Still no. Why no? No, you know, I, I've, I've, I have changed my stance on this only because I just don't think AB's worth it. Not, not from a production standpoint. From worth just what? The drama. Oh. I just don't think he's worth the drama. I just don't think because right now what he's about is social media. He's about look at me. He's about how valuable am I? How he's he's about some other stuff. Right. That I'm not. You know, I'm passing on. All right. I would have done it. Really? Yeah, I would have done it. Hmm. I would have done it for a couple of different reasons. I just think, and I know that it would have cost them a lot of money, a lot of money, um, and it would have been a significant hit against the cap. But as I said to you on an earlier episode, I'm just not sure whether number 21 is going to be amounting to anything. I'm not sure how much confidence I still have in the Seahawks and their drafting of a first-round pick. Let's see. Let's see what number 21 is, and let's see how impactful number 21 ends up being. Uh, here's some tweets for you. Uh, Jeff Woods writes, do you or Jason have any pets? I don't. You don't? Did you grow up with a pet? I didn't. Uh, we had We had a couple of dogs – um, early in my kids, you know, when they were young and when my wife and I were first married. But what happened to them? Well, well they died. Really? That's what happens with pets. But yeah, but yeah. normally you have them for a long time. Yeah, one, I mean, this is, this. we could save this for for the story if you'd like. We had one in Issaquah. We had a, a Maltese. Yeah. You know, we were on the Issaquah Plateau. You keep shaking your head. I hear something's going to happen bad. Uh, I mean, we, Did something happen bad? We had we had a four-pound dog get snatched up. No. Out of the air. In front of your eyes? Not in front of your eyes. I mean. You didn't see it. Tell no, me you didn't see it. Didn't see it. What? Okay. You can't just stop there. Where did this happen? In I our mean, backyard. And so the dog was out? Like the dog was every day. And the dog was gone. Gone. And so you don't even know to this. You're, you're just assuming. You have no evidence that's suggest- No supporting evidence that that's what happened. The dog just disappeared. But in a five-minute scramble for where's the dog, Yeah. the only explanation was he got swooped up out of the sky. That's the only, I mean. So you're still guessing. It's still a mystery on it, some it is, level. Yeah. I mean, Were the kids how old? Unsolved. They, the, no kids. Oh, God. Thank God. And no so you just. The Maltese was gone. Gone. But literally, every you, you, if, if people couldn't have, have gotten out and, and, and no, 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 not in five minutes. And we canvassed the neighborhood and put flyers up and did the whole thing. Oh my! But God. literally in five minutes, like you do every day with your pet backyard. Yeah, Sadie goes out all the time. All the time. Yeah. Literally, go out. Where's the dog? Hasn't come back. Where's, yeah. Where's the canvas? 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 Like nothing. Now, up there on the plateau, there's a bunch of circling hawks and bald eagles and, and a four-pound dog. That's that's easy. Oh, God. Boy, Mitch Unfiltered, episode 29. <laughs> just took a just got, got deep. I didn't even know what I was doing yeah. asking this question. Got Do you deep. have any pets? Yeah. I, uh, we have a, a little Havanese. You've gotten to know our little Havanese. Yes. She's not next to me no. right now. Uh, yeah, she's old. Yeah, she is old. She's really, really old, she, and it's really she's, sad. She's trying. What's happening is it's really sad. Yep. We're watching, 
we're watching uh, a real deterioration yes. in front of our eyes, and it's really sad. Even in the- and I remember it when I when I had a dog as a kid. We had a big Doberman Pinscher as a kid. Oh, you did. We did, and I remember vividly the last couple of years, last year, and it was really sad then, and it's really sad now. And uh, we don't know really what to do except just to support the dog. The dog yeah. cannot really cannot hear at all can hardly see and is having trouble and slowed down and having trouble getting out in time mm-hmm. and the whole thing. Oh, yeah. It's just really every, heartbreaking Every to watch. time I'm here, Sadie's got something going on. Yeah, and it's I, sad. I get it. It's yeah, sad. She's, it's really sad. She's trying to do her Neil thing. Henderson wants to know, what about Felix? Washed. Completely washed. Cut him? No, of course not. I mean... You, he's pissed. He, he's pissed that he's yeah, not opening well, opening day starter for the eleventh. It would be the eleventh consecutive and, year. And and I understand as a competitor why he's pissed. Yeah, I mean, go back and look at what he's done in the last couple of years, and like, the facts are the facts. But the facts are also the facts in that he stayed as a Seattle Mariner when he could have been a Yankee, he could have been a Red Sox, he could have been whatever, and he decided to stay. To me, Felix Hernandez is the ultimate Mariner. Yeah. But he's washed. That's it. He's mad if you read between the lines in the media that he finally did the day after it was announced that he would not be starting on opening day for 11th. He said he believes that they made their decision before spring training and he had nothing. They didn't give him a right. He was terrible in spring training. Yeah, but he thinks it didn't matter. Yeah, he was up to 16 ERA. Yeah. But uh, he thinks that no matter what he did spring training, they would not have let him start. And so and what? that's what's mad. That's Even if mad that's at. the case, yeah. go out and prove that they're wrong. You didn't. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that doesn't matter. That is. You know, it's funny that we go from, we go from Sadie yeah. to Felix, and they're not entirely different. My, my emotions on these things are not entirely different. Not I, happened, I have said, I said on the radio show for anybody who listened, a lot of times over the years, and I'll say it again here, Felix Hernandez, to me, should own a very, very unique and special place in, in Seattle sports history. When he was in his prime, he had a couple of chances to jump off a sinking ship, a ship that was going nowhere, and go strike gold. Go hit the lottery twice. He could have gone twice, and yet... Nope. He signed contracts. He never got to free agency. Yeah. He could have gotten to free agency. Okay. He never forced his way out. He just wanted to win with the Seattle Mariners. He wanted to do whatever he could do to help the Mariners get to the postseason when there was a pot of cash waiting mm-hmm. for him at a highest bidder. Mm-hmm. And he totally turned it down on a couple of different occasions. And. He didn't even get to the point where he was a free right. agency to make Seattle yeah. bid against other teams. He just signed up, signed up before he got to free agency and said, here, sign me to extension. I'm in. All I want to yep. do is play. That deserves him a special place 100%. in Seattle sports fans' hearts. He never showed anything but I want to stay in the Northwest. All right? Mason wants to know via Twitter, significant other doesn't have a TSA pre-check. I do. Regular line is long. Kids are crying. Pre-check line is short. What's the play here? Now, you answered this I one did. on Twitter. But Mason didn't give all the information. <laughs> Mason made it sound like he had kids that were crying yeah. and wanted to get through. Yeah. 
And then when I told him what my advice would be, he's like, actually, those, aren't, my those kids. aren't, I don't have any kids. <laughs> so what do you do? Two of you, one of you have TSA. You stay, you stay with your wife. You stay, right. you stay with your wife. It's, it's a very simple thing. As long as you're not, as long as you're not about to miss the plane, because right. the only way you would go ahead is to hold the plane. Yeah. That's it. If you're not there to hold the plane to say, Hey, my wife is coming through. I just went through with her. She'll be here in 10 minutes. You're just standing there <laughs> like a bump on a log. You're just standing there. You got to stay. You got to stay. Got to stay. All right, last tweet. Okay. And then you got to make a call on episode 29. Yep. Scott Soden tweets. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Scott Soden yeah, is? Hotshot Scott. Hotshot Scott. Yeah. What's the most embarrassing on-air moment of your broadcasting career? Yours, Mitch Levy? Yes. Is this a clear-cut choice? Clear-cut choice. He knows the answer. Oh, he does. He was part of the Oh, answer. he was. I have no idea. This pains me to say. Okay. It's not, I mean, whatever is second, I, I can't even remember. Oh, yeah, I know it was second. I made a comment to Jim Abbott on the on the air that I wish I had back. I didn't do it on purpose. It, it's, it's just I used, I used words that I wish I didn't use. Jim Abbott, the one-handed yeah. pitcher? Yes. Michigan I, slash MLB? Yes. I said to him, Uh-oh. I said to him that he was dealt a bad hand. <laughs> And I wasn't Mitch it's Levy. Just totally. I was asking him a question about being dealt a bad hand, but I didn't. But it just as soon as it came out, I never was so embarrassed. Yeah, I was embarrassed one other time, more than that. And so here's what happened. So it's the PGA Championship. What year? It's a Holly. 1998, maybe 98, something like that. And uh, we decide we're gonna we're gonna set up shop live from Sahali. And uh, my producer at the time, whoever it was, and I guess I'm finding out that my engineer was Hotshot Scott, yeah. said to me before I went out, who would you like as guests at Sahali? And I said, get me one of the CBS broadcast team, the golf broadcast team, one of the main golf broadcasters And who would that have CBS. been at that time, 99? Same guys. Jim Nance, probably Ken Venturi, Gary McCord, uh, Peter Costas, one of the main golf guys. I'm now sitting there, and he tells me in my ear during the break before from the studio that I've got Sean McDonough coming to sit by oh, with sure. him. Now, do you know Sean McDonough from yes. back in the day? Yeah. Yes. Well, not from back in the day. He was at Syracuse before I was. Oh, he was. Okay. But I have admired Sean McDonough for a long, long, long time. I think Sean McDonough is one of the best all-around play-by-play men that we've had from Syracuse or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I've always admired Sean McDonough. Okay. So when they tell me over the in my ears from back at the station, I'm at Sahali, they tell me that Sean McDonough's coming on. Right before the previous segment, I said, I told you I wanted one of their main golf guys, Venturi, Nance, McCord, Costas. Sean McDonough only joined them for the one tournament a year, the PGA Championship. And so I was angling for one of their golf guys. Yeah. So I then go do this next segment, and Sean McDonough steps in and sits right next to me, and we're about to go on the air, and he puts the headsets on, and my engineer at the time, I guess Uh-oh. it was Hotshot, says, Uh-oh. we want to know what's your problem with Sean McDonough. Why don't you want Sean oh, McDonough? Oh, no. 
No. Why are you so anti Sean McDonough? And he's sitting there with the headsets on, mm. and it's going right into his headset. Is he looking at you? He's looking at me. Oh. I wanted to just crawl into the closest 18th hole at Sahali that I ever could find. It was the most embarrassing moment by far. He's looking at me. He takes his headsets off. No, no, no. And he lays them down, and he just sits there. And then we go on the air. He puts them back on. He handled it. He pretended like he didn't even hear it when it was clear. Oh, the worst. There you go. So what's your decision? And we can finish this sucker off. So here's what I would say. Okay. I'm going, I'm going out on a limb here to tell you this. If I was making this decision on my own, the J-Ham version, this would be Satchel Page, no question. He wasn't even in the last three yeah. finalists. That's okay. Let's do it. But let's do Satchel Page. But as a guy who grew up here, who admired the Seahawks, who watched Earl Thomas play, no matter what, the last bird, no knuckles, knuckles. It's episode Earl Thomas. Episode Earl Thomas is in the books. <laughs> <laughs>